Well, we're here with another episode of Conversations and Connections. We are the official podcast of the Family Crisis Center of East Texas. I'm Stuart Burson, the Prevention Coordinator for the agency. Glad you could join us. And with us today is Greg Sims. He's our shelter manager. Uh, Probably most of the time when people think of the Family Crisis Center, they're going to think of the safe house or the women's shelter and they're going to probably think of the safe of the uh, of, of our stores of our thrift stores so um we're going to talk to greg who's our manager of the safe house greg how's it going good good thanks for having awesome me well i appreciate you coming in because I, I know uh just from observations you are a very busy dude <laughs> pretty much <laughs> well uh, okay, so last year, uh, I had our program director, Glenna Harkness, on. Of course, she's your boss. Yes. And we talked about the safe house and how it operates and just kind of a general overview of operations back there. But, you know, today, I really want to talk more about your role as the shelter manager. So, I guess we'll just kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll start kind of wide here. Uh, in general, what does a shelter manager do? Okay, all of the things that she talked about last year, it's making sure those occur, but there's a lot of hats to wear back there as a shelter manager, you know, doing shelter inventory, make sure we have enough toilet paper, uh, shampoo, body soap, that type of stuff, making sure we have plenty to uh, accommodate our clients and everything. Um, I manage eight crisis workers for different shifts, so it's... I have to do scheduling for them. I have to, um, you know, if somebody needs a vacation, try to work out, you know, covering all that. Right. Um, I have to deal with, you know, whenever client issues arise or crisis worker issues. I'm pretty much on call all the time just mm-hmm. so, you know, answer calls whenever emergency or, you know, things like that pop up where, the staff's not sure what to do, so they contact me and I deal with those. Um, I'm also a client advocate, so I help, you know, get them moving in the direction where they can be independent and free of, you know, whatever trauma they were dealing with before. So, you know, a lot of different things. <laughs> so it's really uh, multiple roles that you play. And, of course, oh, absolutely. it sounds like it's more than just making sure everything is running smooth on paper. Yeah, it's more than just uh, managing just behind. One. It's more than just managing behind the desk, I yeah, guess. No, you know. Yeah, you don't spend that much time behind the desk. There's always <laughs> something going on. So, awesome. Well, I really like the fact that you do more than just, or I guess I should say, we supply more than just a place for a person to live back there. You know, it's while they're kind of sorting out their their lives. I guess you can say, you know, when they first come here. Uh, so it's really cool. Now, of course, COVID has kind of thrown, has thrown a monkey wrench and a lot of the stuff that I think you do for the clients, but I want you to talk a little bit about going beyond, okay, we're supplying you a bed and a meal, you know, or, or three meals a day. Uh, I'd like for you to kind of talk about what, uh, what else as a safe house or a shelter, whatever you, however you want to call it what we do for the clients. What we offer. Well, one of my big things that I like to do for them, because cooperative living is hard. You're basically living with 30, 40 strangers, and this is your home for 
this set period of time. So one of the things that I try really hard to do is try to find things to make it feel more home-like, more um, just a little bit more relaxed. Um, and of course, a lot of this with COVID has killed some of it, but we were doing family movie nights where I would bring in a family movie on Friday nights and like everybody that wanted to participate would, would go in the living room and we would usually try to let them have popcorn or soda, something, you know, something special. And they would all sit around and watch a family movie together to kind of, you know, lighten the atmosphere, kind of make it feel a little bit more homey. Right. Uh, We also have a book program with Kurth Memorial Library. So the first Wednesday of every month, they bring a new shipment of books. They pick up the old ones, but these are all available for the clients to check out. So, you know, a little bit, they can Mm kind of escape into a good book while they're, you know, in their downtime. And that's one of the things I'm really proud of that I really like that we were able to, to get together. Um, and back before COVID, we had uh, a thing going with the hair schools where their students were coming in and cutting our clients' hair for free, and we made like a big day out of it. And Well, that's cool. Yeah, it was really, really nice. Like I said, eventually I'd like to get back to that, but we'll right. have to see what happens. So. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, let's, call, let's talk about... COVID for a little bit, you okay. know, that's the, the, the ugly topic. Nobody likes to talk about uh, how has the COVID ep- uh, pandemic affected the operations in the safe house? Well, and with like where I was talking about the cooperative living and of course, when the clients are in their room, they don't, we don't require that they have to wear the mask mm-hmm. in there, but if you have everybody out in common areas, whether it be the family room, uh, the dining room, you know, anywhere where they're going to be interacting with a large group of people, we do require that they wear their masks, at, you know, outside of eating mm-hmm. or drinking or whatever. And, you know, and that's kind of uncomfortable for a lot of people because they are at home, but yet at the same time, they still have to wear right. the mask sure. around and. And like I said, I get it, but at the same time, we are trying to do our part and try to keep everything under control and keep, you know, something from spreading right. within the safe house because we are in a tight environment there yeah. and we don't want it turned into a giant right. petri dish. So, <laughs> uh, one of the things I want to I want to touch on while I'm thinking about it, and I think it's more unique maybe for your position than it is for mine is I think everybody knows, you know, we are the family crisis center, AKA the women's shelter. Right. And probably most of the time, of course, you know, we've, we always emphasize this and we've emphasized it here on the podcast. And we, when we go out and, and talk to folks that we do accommodate men as well, if, yes. if, if needed, we will take anyone. You don't have to be a woman. Right. However, probably most of the time, it's 100% women yeah. back there. And here we are. We have a man who's running the show yeah. back there. Uh, what, has, what has that been like? <laughs> it, it's been very unique and interesting because and i mean with 
like you said, we do take in men also if they're in domestic violence or sexual assault situations. So I, th I think that kind of led into the openness to have a man as a shelter manager. Um, but I have experienced, like, I've gotten phone calls where I've taken hotline calls or whatever, and uh, a woman will go, wait, who are you again? And then when I tell her, and she's like, uh, why is a man running the shelter? And I right. have to explain to her, you know, kind of that we're inclusive and yeah. that, you know, it's not a it's not an issue, it's not a problem, and we can help them out. So I remember it was like the first day I started here, I don't think, I don't even think they told the staff that they hired a man as the shelter manager. So my first day walking in, I got a lot of strange looks, and like none of the clients would make eye contact with me. And they were having a support group that day, and I'd asked if it was okay with the clients if I sat in on it. And so they kind of talked amongst yeah. themselves, agreed, and let me sit in. So all during the support group, they kept asking for like a man's opinion on things. You know, they started oh, opening up. Interesting. Okay. And um, so I was very open and, you know, gave my opinions on what they were asking about. Well, by the end of that session, like where nobody was talking to me before, I had several of the clients like, do you have some free time after this? Can I meet with you? And it kind of opened the door for me. It kind of uh, loosened up that tension mm -hmm. that was there when I first walked in. But I've had a very few incidents in the last two and a half years where me being a man has been an issue with some clients. And I've tried to, like, reassure them that, right, you know, it's not an issue on my part that I would do whatever I could to help them move along. And... um. Like I said, most kind of eased their mind, but then mm -hmm. there's been one or two where it was just, it was an issue yeah. that they couldn't overcome. And I can understand that. I mean, um, I'm right. sure a lot of their trauma is male-based. And so some of them, it's just going to be a little bit more yeah. than they could deal with. So, Well, I kind of think how I look like my role as being a man in sexual assault prevention work and I don't know, sometimes I wonder if this sounds selfish, but I almost kind of take pride in the fact that I am a man and to show people that, hey, I'm an advocate for sexual assault prevention, for domestic violence prevention. You know, not all men are perpetrators and right. there are men out there that can be feminists and who can, um, again, show that they're an advocate Right. And I kind of take pride in that. And yeah. I kind of like the fact that, hey, look, I'm a man, but I am I want to work with you. you well, know? In general, I don't even look at it in terms, when I'm doing what I do, I don't think of it in terms of male or female. Right. I think of us, we're people, and we're people helping other people. It doesn't matter what, what your sex is, what your color. If you're in need and we can help you, that's what I'm here for, yeah. period. And right. that's... That's what I do. Yeah. No, it's no. I I I I agree a hundred a hundred a hundred percent. And I think and and to be honest, looking now since you said that, I probably don't think about my role as a male as much as I did when I first came okay. here. Yeah. You know, just because uh, now I don't know. I know you go to. I know you go to conference. Well, 
no, I'm so tired of saying prior to COVID, prior. but I'm going to say it. Prior to COVID, you yes. know, you probably went to as many out-of-town conferences as I did. Yes. Uh, different ones, kind of different yeah. circles. But I know the prevention conferences that I go to, I'm definitely in the minority when it comes to gender, you know, oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's mostly women. It's mostly younger women. Yeah. There we go. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the old, I'm the old man well, in, same here, in, in, so in the, I'm... in the group. So that kind of made me feel a little odd at first. Yeah. You know, which one of those things, it was the same with me, but you know, after you kind of start going these, exactly. you, it goes away because yeah. you're focused on what you're there for. Sure. Rather than external circumstances, so. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, what have you gotten out of your? I'm kind of going off script a little bit here. That's fine. <laughs> um, what have you gotten out of your work, uh, as far as, or I guess maybe I should say, what do you find rewarding? Doing what you do. Seeing people that come in at like very low points in their lives. And then seeing them, like empowering them to to change their life, and seeing them being able to move forward and do these things themselves, and realize that you know we're here helping them, but they're doing the work, and they're the ones changing their lives. We're mm-hmm. just kind of helping guide them along the way, and seeing people turn around from just like having no hope, yeah, to having a bright future ahead of them because. They've been able to, you know, make these changes, and right. So it's that's truly it makes this the best job I've ever had. I mean, hands down. I've, cool. I've always been in jobs helping people, but this one is above and beyond what yeah I did before. So funny you should say that because uh, yeah, you 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 set this up. We're I, we're. <laughs> I'm kind of kidding with Greg, but this is a very good segue. Into the next thing I'm going to ask is, how did you find yourself here at the crisis center? Okay, well, originally I worked uh, in the MHMR field. I worked for Lufkin State School and St. Giles Living Center helping people with developmental disabilities. I was supervisor there. Um, and I can see you doing that. I mean, I can see you. And that's I doing did it that. straight out of high school, and I did it for twenty something years. And wow, was really, really? Yeah. And I was going to college during that time, but I kind of I kept changing majors, couldn't decide what I wanted, kind of yeah. just all over the place. <laughs> and then I was kind of comfortable with my role once I became a supervisor out there, and I kind of backed off the school a little bit, which. You know, I regret now. I wish I'd done the things I did earlier. But uh, back in 2009, it was actually four days before Christmas, I got hit by a drunk driver. I spent six months in the hospital. Now, you got hit by a drunk driver. Was you in a car or was you? Yeah. Oh, well, I just didn't know if you got no, hit no, while no. you was in a car, if you got hit like physically, yeah, your body we got We were hit. on 103 Bridge and hit head on going 75 miles an hour oh, he gosh. came over into my lane Jeez. on the bridge okay. and so i spent a long time in the hospital i had a lot of injuries um i couldn't really do what i was doing before and it kind of you know it was kind of dark i had to reevaluate what i was going to do moving forward and 
actually while I was in, uh, it was a nursing home slash rehab, and there was a social worker there that came and talked to me every day, and um, it's just one of those things, kind of like a epiphany, kismet, fate, whatever. It just it hit me what I wanted to do, and because of uh, some of the crime victim compensation and different things, I was able to go back and finish both my my bachelor's and my master's in social work, and. I had no idea you had a master's. Yep. I did, well, I don't know if I even knew you had a, a bachelor's. So you you do have your master's in social yes. work? Yes. Awesome. Um, so I was actually, there was actually a nine-year period in between the time of the wreck when I went back and got finished my bachelor's, and then I was off for like a year, kind of, I still wasn't really finding a job. I advocate I'm actually through the Workforce Commission. I think at that time, I was the only person they've ever paid for an advanced degree on. So they helped helped me pay for my master's degree. And then after I got that, I was kind of looking around at different jobs. And I was actually thinking about going into nursing homes like... Mm -hmm because that's where I did a lot of my internships and that kind of spoke to me, but nothing was really opening up. And I saw the posting for this and I put in for it and, um, I met with Glenn and Whitney and like we it wasn't even like an interview. It was just like a conversation Mm -hmm. where everything was clicking. And like, I, I had to wait like another two or three weeks and I was like, I want that job. And then they called and offered it to me. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I want to kind of wrap things up. Of course, what you do here is is awesome. But you also do a lot of community work outside of our agency. The one that I'm probably most familiar with is probably your community Thanksgiving that you kind of run and you're in charge of uh, every year. Yes, um, and that's why I'm actually involved in a lot of stuff, and that's the one I'm most proud of just because that came from um, me and a friend of mine sitting around one night, and we he actually mentioned, like, he lived down the road from um, Kiwanis Park, and he was talking about how his family every year had... Um, they fixed this big Thanksgiving, but by the time all the family had gone to three other places and they had eaten everywhere else, and then they come over there, and they always had this great big amount of food left. So he had actually mentioned about, you know, thinking about taking his leftovers down to Qantas Park because there was a large population of homeless in that area, and just, like, laying it out there for the day and letting people come through and eat and just with some of the things I'd done through my internship with Impact Lufkin, I'd kind of made some connections and I started thinking, well, I can do better than that. And so I just came up with this idea of of doing like Mm -hmm. this bigger thing for Thanksgiving in the park where, um, you know, we provided not only for the homeless, but for families in need, so it, it's not strictly a homeless thing. Mm-hmm. It's basically for anybody that has nowhere to go on Thanksgiving, you know, and it not only provides a meal, but it's 
fellowship on Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's about the community and about having mm-hmm. people around you. So, yeah, that's been the, the one I'm most proud of. But I'm also vice president on House of Compassion, which is a homeless nonprofit. I'm on the board for SOS Rescue and Recovery. Uh, I was just recently added to the Kurth Memorial Library Board of Trustees. And I was also nominated for the Homeless Network Community Investment Committee, which there was three of us for the Southeast region, which they're still voting on that. So I don't know about that yet. So, <laughs> All right. Well, Greg, you're doing good work back there. And, uh, it, uh, you know, I, I usually see you a few times a day as you uh, run through to talk run, to Glenna. Run through to talk to Glenna about stuff. And, and I, you know, I overhear some, some things and you do – you do have a unique job with some unique um, challenges, I guess I, I should say. Um, thanks. I appreciate you coming in. Absolutely. Thank and, you. And, and doing this. Uh, Greg Sims, our shelter manager here at the Family Crisis Center of East Texas. Um, I do want to say, if you have any comments or questions regarding conversations and connections, you can email us. That email is conversations and connections at fccet.com also if you believe or if you feel you need any of our services or if you have any questions we do have a toll-free 24 hour a day seven day a week hotline number that's 1-800-828-7233 and again that number is 1-800-828-7233 and as always be the voice if not for you for someone else